be nice to other people, be that solution to their problem, become a trusted resource, build relationships. Maybe that's more than one piece of advice, but that's generally what I find is the ingredient to success. Whether you're in a partnership, whether you want to go into business by yourself, and I've had partnerships and can tell stories about that too, on the good side and the bad side. Ultimately, develop good relationships, be a trusted resource, have a solution to a problem. Microphone check, one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Talk to him. Attorney, high-performance coach, and speaker Cherie Prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick. From starting a business, marketing, strategies, and the ins and outs of their industries. We talk everything from book recommendations, lifestyle hacks, and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business. The Play Big Faster podcast starts now. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. I am here today with Paul Barron. Paul, how are you doing? I'm good, Sherry. Thanks so much for inviting me to talk with you and your audience. Well, look, thank you so much for coming out. When I was looking at some of your work, I noticed that your motto is to make the world beautiful. And you've done that over time through several different businesses. Could you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and who you serve? Sure. Well, today my business is the wall printer. And just to give the full flavor of that tagline that you just mentioned, because you only mentioned half of it, it's make the world beautiful one wall at a time. That's the full version of that. And uh, and the reason is, is because four years ago, I discovered a vertical printing machine, kind of like an inkjet printer on steroids if you will. It's a a large piece of commercial equipment. It's a $35,000 machine. It's not your desktop printer. Um, And it's not the more expensive flatbed printers that signage companies use and printing shops use to create banners and things like that. Um, This is a machine that actually moves across a wall along the floor, printing vertically to produce a beautiful digital image, high resolution, any image, any wall surface, whether it's wood, tile, metal, sheetrock, wallboard, glass, makes no difference. Indoors and outdoors, it prints beautiful, um, faithfully near photo quality solution images. To And it's used for either art, it's used for signage. It could be text. It could be something as much as a, a menu of a restaurant on their glass window. It could be somebody's family picture put up on their wall in their den for um, six feet by eight feet or something like that. Or it could print the outside of a 60 foot tall building. There's no limits to what you can do with it. Our customers give us more creativity than we could think of based on the projects that they take on. But ultimately, it is a printer that prints beautiful digital art on any wall indoors, outdoors. And we also have a floor printer. So we could print any kind of artwork like logos, or we could print a wood floor on top of a concrete floor and just be able to put any artwork, personalized parking space in a garage. We do that with the floor printer. So those are the two things we sell. We train, support, put our customers in business doing this. This year, we were honored to get the 2023 Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And the reason we got it over the hundreds of applicants for this very prestigious annual award was that the judges are asked the one question, what's the business that you would invest $100,000 in? And they selected the wall printer. And the reason they did it was not because, and hopefully our customers do get a very large return on their money because it is a very high prof- highly profitable business. But at the same time, 
what we do every time we sell a printer, we're putting somebody in business. We're creating entrepreneurs. They may be startups. They may be people who have an existing business like a painting company or a photographer or muralist, graphics design, general contractor, or they may be just somebody who wants to start up a business. And they can do that for anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $100,000 with our equipment. And that's what we're all about, creating opportunities for other people. It's pretty much the result of what I've done my entire professional life, which we don't have to bore your audience with. Paul was born at a young age. I'm 72 years old, but it did start back in college when I strung tennis rackets for the athletic department that went into becoming a business for me. I taught high school mathematics out of college, but I quickly went into the business. I opened up a little sporting goods store to sell tennis goods. And then that expanded to three stores. And so I gave up teaching in my third year because I had to make a decision whether I wanted to devote my time and energy to the teaching profession or to business. And I opted for business. Um, after that, my life went on a kind of a roller coaster of series of working for companies to learn what I don't know. There's a lot of things I know I don't know, or maybe I don't know what I don't know, but I wanted to find out. And so I would work for companies that might be able to add some more background and more knowledge um, in my path. I won't say at all, as I describe this to your audience and to you, Sherry, that it was the classic hockey stick with going from zero to 60 in 70 years. My path had its valleys. It had its hills. I'm enjoying a very good place right now, um, but it certainly isn't without the learning experiences, as I call those lesser financial successes, those learning experiences that carry you along the way, as well as the people you meet, which really brings me to the most important aspect of any entrepreneur's journey or life in general, if you will. I don't fancy myself as any big philosopher, but it's really all about relationships. Uh, there's the old saying, be nice to the people you see on the way up because they're the same people you're going to see on the way down. And I don't think anything can be more true in the relationships you build on those early years, whether it's from grade school or somebody that you're in business with, whether a customer, whether an attorney, such as yourself, whatever relationships you have with people, you can take away from something and you can give something back. And generally, even if it doesn't serve your purpose at the time, being a trusted resource for somebody can always come back and double, triple to you over the course of your experiences in life. So that's really what it's about. About 20 years ago, just to bring your audience up to speed on why I'm doing what I'm doing today, about 20 years ago, I developed after a series of businesses, and we could talk a little bit about those, but suffice to say that, well, I'll, I'll mention one. In, in the 70s, I opened a restaurant in 1979. I'm very proud of the fact that 44 years later, that restaurant is still open and in business today. I don't own it anymore. I got out of it in 1990, selling my interest to my partner. I made a lot of money in that business. I moved to Florida to be near my parents and play tennis more. And so uh, they retired. And I decided when I was down there, what's Paul going to do when he grows up? And I figured, well, I just had a very successful restaurant in New York. I'm going to duplicate that here in Florida. Well, to make a sordid story short, in one year in Florida, I lost everything I made in 12 years in New York. It was a, what I call one of those learning experiences. And without getting into the details of the whys and the wheres, basically because of market, lack of marketing research, being in business with the wrong partners, that's the short story of why I think the business failed. But the bottom line was it drove me into bankruptcy and I had to start all over again. I went back to my math roots from my education and I had a friend who had a problem uh, that needed solving, um, which required some type of a software solution. At the time, in the 
late in mid eighties or so, um, there weren't many avenues for this customer to take um, to solve his problem, which is also a general t- way of telling you and your audience that no entrepreneur's venture should start, um, or you shouldn't even think about something if you're not really solving some kind of a real problem. You can't make up a solution to a problem that you make up, no matter how creative it might seem. If there's not a problem that you're solving, probably nobody's going to want it or buy it or create value for you. So there was a problem. It was a telemarketing kind of thing for a stock brokerage firm uh, that they wanted to eliminate calls to people who didn't want to get calls on the penalty of a fine. That's now actually a federal uh, called the no call list uh, or do not call list uh, that people could put their numbers on if you want to be excluded from telemarketing. At the time in 1990, there was no such law, although Florida was just passing one. And my friend wanted a solution for his stockbrokers so that they would not call people that didn't want to be called. The way I normally do things is if I don't see anything is available to solve the problem, I'll try to find the solution or create the solution. Again, if there's a real problem to be solved. So in this case, I got myself a software programmer, got somebody who knew about telephone equipment. I put together a little system and we created what was called the no sales call system. And we started marketing and selling this not only to his company, where it worked and solved his problem, but other companies. I sold to Humana Healthcare and some other companies and the company did very well. Um, And I exited that company. I sold that company. In so doing, I developed this reputation, if you will, as being some type of a communications consultant, somebody who could identify customers for a product or a service. A company in Atlanta hired me moved me from Florida to Atlanta, kicking and screaming. No disrespect to anybody in your audience from Atlanta, just that I grew up on the coast. I really like being near the ocean. Um, here I was in Atlanta, although there's a beautiful lake there, uh, Lake Lanier, which which is where we lived, which is, is a beautiful body of water, but it wasn't the same. But for 12 years, I lived there. And originally I was relocated because a company was coming out of the development stage of a communications product and they wanted to take it to market. In so doing, the way to market these products in this industry was trade shows for the most part. You went to an industry event and you sat there with other people who did similar things or different things, but catering to the same audience of telephone manufacturers, device manufacturers, the mobile devices we use today, navigation systems, anything else that software runs on, audio, video, communication software. The company I had was a good company. Its product was very good, but there was a company out of Russia who had much better technology than my company did. And I guess the expression is frenemies. At the end of a day, we go out for a couple of cocktails and we talk about the business in the day and just generally get to know one another. And so on one occasion, they reached across from me after I closed a really big deal with Motorola um, for our technology. As a result of that conversation, they made me an offer I could not refuse um, to come work for them. And that was a relationship that started in uh, 2000, lasted about 10, 12 years to 2012. Wonderful relationship. Still trade Christmas cards and birthday cards with their leadership. I did very well for them. Licensed their technologies to companies like Apple and Samsung and Microsoft, creating devices. Every every music clip you hear on an Apple device was the result of technology I licensed to Apple. Every GPS, when you see on CSI of how they track you down for your, um, for your phone, on your cell phone, that GPS technology that sits on the chips was technology from this company that I licensed to Samsung, and it goes on and on. I did very well as a commission salesperson. I always longed for my own business. When I kind of brought this company as much as I could in 10 years in the United States, I retired. I was well off financially. Um, I longed for having my own business in control 
over whatever it was that I found interesting to create a business. But I developed now a reputation beyond the communications consultant as somebody who can take a foreign company's product and articulate that to an American audience and help them identify their high value customers and lead the customers to either sales revenue or partnerships, vendors, strategic relationships, and possibly an exit if that's what their business goal was. So an Austrian company that made an innovative design for a baby bottle contracted me to help them articulate the benefits of their new design of a baby bottle to their audience and young mothers and baby product stores, retail operations. After that, there was a company that manufactured a Chinese headband headphone, a headphone that was manufactured in China, and they wanted to bring that into the kids' market and sell it in places like Walmart and Amazon and that kind of thing. And they wanted that introduced to the American market. And after that, there was a, an Israeli company that was actually a customer of mine when I worked for the Russian company who developed their own product and wanted me to take it to market in the U.S., but it was a horrible product, and I told them. So, so that was a stint that lasted very short, um, and we parted always amicably. They appreciated the honesty, and they went on to change the product and market it in the Middle East as opposed to coming to America with it. And then there was an Australian dog wash. That was one of my favorite ones. My wife and I were not lucky enough to have our life path was such that we did not have the two-legged variety of children. So we went the puppy route with the four-legged variety. Good thing about that, they don't ask for the car keys, no college funds. Nevertheless, we became dog people. And as a result, we start buying things and looking for things for our pets. Anything dog related, we would find interesting. We would probably try to get it um, and see how it makes our dogs happy, uh, whether a treat or a toy or something like that. So I discovered this self-service dog wash, and it was a device that was a very large machine. If you think of the old car washes where you drove your car in and you had a wand and you sprayed your car with water and then wax came out and then you dried it off and you had a clean car. Um, this was similar. A dog would walk up onto a platform and you would spray it with a wand with shampoo, high quality shampoo and then conditioner and then a flea tick medication repellent. And then it had dryers, like big commercial dryers that you might see in hairstyling salons. You dry your dog. And for $10 for 10 minutes, you had a perfectly beautifully clean dog and you didn't have to mess up your house and with anything else. And you didn't have to go out to a groomer for $100 or something like that. It was a really interesting product. So I asked them, well, what are you doing? I've never seen anything like this before. Usually that's the first thing I have to say to be interested in something is that, you know, this is brand new. I kind of think of myself as a relatively normal consumer, although some may argue the normal part. But if I see something that I like and I can afford it and it has some value to me, again, solution to a problem, I might purchase it. But I never saw anything like this before. So I found out who the manufacturer was, an Australian company. I told them, I love your product. I said, are you in the U.S. anywhere? I've never seen this. And they said, no, we really didn't want to bring it across on container ships and that, and it just wasn't cost effective to do that. And I said, well, I'm interested in marketing it here. Can we develop a relationship? They didn't let me buy into the company, which is what I wanted to do, um, to actually buy the product and buy a piece of the company or buy the company. They weren't interested in that, um, but they did want me to be a hired gun for them, a commissioned salesperson. I worked out an agreement that was acceptable to me and them, and I took the product to market here. Did very well. In the first year, I sold 50 of these machines to pet stores and community dog parks, and they were put at gas stations, any place people go with their dogs. And I was reaching a level of success, but I got to the point that said, if I want to scale this company to be really successful, to pursuit of these things, you know, to have them in every pet smart out there or every pet go, you have to manufacture these things here. I found a manufacturer. 
Well, good news and bad news. The good news is I found the manufacturer to manufacture the product in the U.S. The bad news was they loved the product so much that they bought the company. And so that put me out of a job because they had their whole sales team and everything else. So I could never realize my dream for that company because I didn't own it. I did very well financially, mind you. I had a good contract, so I had a good buyout. So I wasn't crying about the situation, but it, I could not create the vision I had for it, again, because I didn't own it. So once again, I stopped working. I retired again. I'm now about 65 in this journey I'm giving you. We're getting close to the end. Bear with me. In retirement, once again, I'm looking for things, and I see something come across my desk. Actually, a company reached out to me that had this vertical printing machine. Coolest thing I ever saw. As I described early on in our conversation, it printed digital art onto walls, never saw anything like it before, ticked all the boxes to make me interested. And once again, I got to the point with them where they wanted me to represent them in the United States. I wanted to buy the company or at least get an equity stake in the company. Um, and they didn't want to hear that. They wanted me to be a hired gun again. Now I said, I'm drawing the line. No, not interested. As much as I think the product is a cool product, I have no interest in it. At that point, I say to my wife, I call her from another room in our house and I say, hey, Maureen, come here, take a look at this. And she invariably, rather than comes and looks at what I'm talking about, she usually goes and cuts up my credit cards and changes the passwords on my bank account because she goes, here we go. Paul's going to invest in something crazy again. And so- Smart lady. Smart lady. Yes, she is. I'm much smarter than me, thankfully. But she looked at this and she said, that's pretty cool. Do you think you can do something with it? And I said, I think so. And so she said, well, go for it. So as long as I got her endorsement, which is important beyond my dog's endorsement, I, I went ahead and I started to do my homework. The same homework I expect my customers to do today. Who else is doing this? How come I never saw this before? Where is this product? What does it cost? Can people make money with it? Those are all the questions I asked. I found out that there were only four other companies in the world that made this machine or a machine with this technology. And I found out these other four companies, none of which wanted to come to the United States, again, because like the dog wash, this is a big machine that weighs 125 pounds. You can only get so many of them in a container to bring them across. And as of today, or five years ago, there was no market for this. Uh, I found after kicking the tires, so to speak, of all four of these companies, the originator, one Chinese company that had about 14 years and about 400 customers already, all in Southeast Asia, the Middle East, little bit in Europe, a little bit in Russia, um, Australia. That was the best product. And again, without going into the, the differences and all the technical mumbo jumbo, um, this was the product I found to be much superior and much cost effective workmanship, software, everything about the product was better than the German product. I reached out to them and I said, what are you doing in the US? I'd like to have a relationship with you. They, in fact, allowed me to buy the company or buy into the company to the extent that we separated the world into two parts. I own the entire Western, Western hemisphere and the rights to manufacture and produce and sell this product. So here I am with a product that I invested heavily in. I got a shipment of these machines, my first shipments in November, I'm sorry, December of 2019. As we all know, in December of, in January of 2020, one month later, the world stopped because of COVID. Um, and here I was with a machine that I'm trying to put people in business or try to sell at a time when nobody's traveling, nobody's going to trade shows to show this, and nobody sees it because there is no business. It wasn't like buying a hamburger place or a coffee shop or a plumbing business. It wasn't anything that anybody knew about. So here I was without really the ability to show anybody this or without the ability for people to travel to come and see me because I was working the entire Western Hemisphere and travel shut down 
completely, if your audience recalls, in just three years ago. So in this period of time where everybody was laying off people and people were working remotely, I looked at this as a real positive for this particular business. No positive to the people who have passed and to the um, devastation that this disease still gives us. But I looked at it from a business perspective as an opportunity. People were rethinking their lives. What do they want to do? They're being laid off. They're working at home. They're searching for either a new career or rethinking their lives, rethinking their living spaces, you know, because now they're spending more time at home. And so I, I saw this as a product that really could meet a lot of needs, not only beautifying somebody's home, office, restaurant, school, but also something that can that can be a business for somebody. So exploring it with that regard, I added people where everybody was laying people off in their businesses. I started hiring my technical support team to learn everything there was to learn about the equipment and how to support it. We converted everything from Chinese language to English, to Spanish, French, Canadian, Portuguese, because those were my audiences. And, and we began manufacturing our own inks. I have two factories that manufacture the inks for this product. Because if anybody knows anything about printers, you can't, and I knew nothing at the time, but I did know that if you put the wrong ink in a printer, it usually doesn't work, which is why Hewlett Packard and Epson and all these people get you by buying their inks uh, because their inks are the ones that work. This printer is no different in that regard. So we manufacture our own inks um, and everything works. And now I've had to address the question of what is it of getting, finding out who wants it, who will buy it. So I hired my marketing people. Social media is what we used. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, our website, um, Google ads, everything that we could think of, Reddit, anything that would get the word out through video clips and messaging that such a machine exists. And do you want to learn more about it? Fast forward about eight months. We made our first sale in August of 2020. Um, now I'll fast forward your audience to today. Here we sit three years later, we have 135 customers. Again, as I said at the beginning, a customer is somebody who now has a new business or a new revenue stream on their business, if they were painters or photographers or somebody like that. Um, and we're growing, selling about one to two new businesses or territories every single week. Um, it's a wonderful business. People are very happy. Their customers are happy and I'm having a good time. Um, and that's where I am today. So after you sell the machine, do you have an ongoing relationship with these people in terms of support, maintenance, or a warranty plan? Sure. I'm not in it for the sale of the machine. I'm in it for the lifetime of a customer. I'm building relationships. And I want a customer, and our business model is such that if somebody just wants a machine for their own use, like a school, a museum, a gallery, or somebody who just wants one machine for, it, it really is a two-person operation, one person for marketing, one person for actually handling the machine and maintaining it. If somebody wants to get into business with just two people or they have the vision of growing a large business, um, our preferred model is to give them a protected territory because they are the first ones to do something. And that, of course, is a good news, bad news. If you're the first one in Des Moines, Iowa to buy one of these things, you're going to be the first one to sell these services. The bad news is you're going to be the first one to sell these services. So you have to go ahead and market that locally to the people who are going to want that, the restaurants, the homes, the schools, the hospitals, medical offices, what have you, office buildings, and anybody who wants art on the walls, indoors or outdoors, they have, they, you have to find those people. But I want your business to grow. So I want you to buy more printers, hire more people, make it a real business that hire people to support the 
potential market that's out there. We're not a franchise. I'll say that right now to your audience. I've been in franchising to some extent years ago. I didn't go out and buy myself a Dunkin' Donuts, but I did sell technology to franchisers and I learned about that industry. It's a wonderful industry. A lot of my friends have franchise businesses. In fact, a good friend of mine that I co-locate my warehouse with in the factory here owns a fast science franchise and a signage business because we complement that. We don't really compete with it. But at the same time, I did not want to restrict people to being the wall printer. I want, because many of my customers have their own business already and their own customers. So they create their brand. We actually put it on the printer for them um, so that the machine is customized for their brand, their business with their QR code or Facebook, or Facebook page, website, email address, phone number, whatever. Um, but it's their business. We don't take royalties. We don't insist that they do marketing, but we help them if they do marketing by providing content like those same videos and messages we gave out to attract our customers, they can use until they get their own printing success stories and their own customer testimonials. They can use material we give them to start introducing it in their local market. We don't provide the services. We don't compete with our customers. Um, that's something that some of these other businesses do that I mentioned earlier. They actually provide services as well as the printers. We're just in it to support our customers. And to your question, Sherry, which was very good. Yes, we provide training. We provide materials. We provide spare parts. We provide a one-year warranty at which they can extend. We provide unlimited technical support for the life of the machine because this is new. We have a lot of experience now in printing with these machines, and they're going to be faced with questions that they don't know anything about. Unlimited technical support is available to them. That's our business model. So Paul, if you can leave our listeners with one piece of advice on how to play big faster as an entrepreneur, what would that advice be? Well, one of my favorite books was given to me. It was everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Be nice to other people. Be that solution to their problem. Become a trusted resource. Build relationships. Maybe that's more than one piece of advice, but that's generally what I find is the ingredient to success. Whether you're in a partnership, whether you want to go into business by yourself, and I've had partnerships and can tell stories about that too, on the good side and the bad side. Ultimately, develop good relationships, be a trusted resource, have a solution to a problem. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. And for everyone out there listening, play big faster. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. I already subscribed. I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. <laughs> and remember to play big faster.